Well, as you know, we're making our way through the, New Test- through the Old Testament using Hebrews chapter 11. We've spent two weeks with the person of Joseph already, and today we're going to spend our final week with Joseph. He's going to give us lessons about our faith today. But first, let me ask you a question. How many of you in your homes right now have real, authentic Christmas trees? Go ahead and raise your hand up if you have a real Christmas tree. Wonderful. Now, how many of you Grinches out there have a fake Christmas tree in your living room? Go ahead and hold. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Now, I just need to point out to all of you who have imposter trees that some of us actually need to leave the house to find our Christmas tree, which nature provided. And then once we get our tree back home, we actually have to go into storage and pull out decorations and lights and ornaments and all that. All you have to do is get it out of the box and set it up, right? So you may not be aware of what I'm about to share with you. But sometimes Christmas tree lights get tangled. How many of you have had to untangle Christmas tree lights ever before in your life, right? Now sometimes the knots can get incredibly large. Check out this uh, Christmas tree light knot that I found, a little picture there. Isn't she adorable? But uh, how long do you think it would take her to untangle that knot of Christmas tree lights? Probably a few hours, right? Where do I start? I don't know where to even begin pulling, and it's like they're sticking together. And, uh, now keep that image in your mind, because what we're talking about today uh, kind of resembles a big knot of Christmas tree lights that you don't quite even know how to start untangling. The topic this morning is about your past. And the title of the sermon is, Trust God to Resolve Your Past. You see, there are things in your past that you simply don't understand. Why did it happen? How did it happen? These are painful experiences in your past that I think would resemble a big old knot of Christmas tree lights. And you're not sure how to make sense of it all. Maybe it's a painful trial you had to go through. Maybe it's an altercation with someone and you can't believe what they said or how they treated you. And at the end of it all, you're wondering why God would allow this into your life. And and I would call that a giant knot that you can't untie. And you don't even know where to start. But what we're going to see this morning is the Lord is willing and able to resolve your past but do you have faith to trust Him to do it? And you might think, oh yeah, but my knot is so big, I don't even think the Lord's ever going to... Hey, listen, we're talking about a guy named Joseph, and his family had some major dysfunctions. All right, we're talking 12 boys, four moms, and one wacky dad. We're talking Joseph hasn't seen or talked to his brothers for 20 years. And the last time they, he saw them, they had sold him for money into slavery in Egypt. I mean, talk about a messed up past. Talk about wondering how on earth God could ever make sense of this past. But this morning, God begins to act to resolve it. And listen, I want you to just pull up the files, even though it might be painful. Pull up the files this morning of your, your past hurts and the conversations you'll never forget and the unexpected trials and the suffering and bring it all out this morning to the Lord and say, Father, these are things you need to resolve. There are things in my heart you need to resolve from my past. And here's what you're going to see. You're going to see whatever it is that comes up in your past, there was a reason God allowed it. 
And there's a purpose it will serve in God's grand design for your life. This is what Joseph learns this morning, and this is what we will learn this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Old Testament together. Father in heaven, we don't like to look back at the past. Things that have come and gone that we maybe don't understand, we wonder why. But here this morning, Joseph's past spills over into his present. And you show your sovereignty and your love as you bring resolution. Give us hope from his story that you will bring resolution to our past. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42. In case you weren't here last week, Joseph told Pharaoh a couple dreams that he had. And he said, hey, there's going to be seven years of amazing economic growth coming. The land's going to be plentiful, but then it's going to be followed by seven years of the worst famine that's ever happened, and it's going to decimate the whole world. You've got to get ready. Okay, well, those first seven years have come and gone, and they had all the, uh, all the, the crops come and all the riches, and now, now the famine has begun. So people from all over the world are coming down to get food from Gasu, Joseph. Chapter 42, verse 1 is where we begin. Just to give you the heads up, there's a lot of story that I'm reading to you today. We're covering a lot of story. So these points will come periodically, all right? But uh, there's a whole lot of the word that's going to be read this morning. Chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? He said, behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. All right, this was like severe famine, right? Like, Al, you go to the grocery store, you start walking up and down the aisles, and there's like one package of ramen noodles, and everybody's fighting over it. It's mine, no, it's mine, kicking and pushing, right? And there's nothing left. It's bad. He said so that we might not die. Okay? They're, they're only like one year into this famine and they're already like, what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to die. Wow. Okay, then reading on in verse 6. It says, Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. This is perfect. So people are coming from all over the world and they've got to wait this long line to get through. Next. Number 45,622. Next. And it's like you've got to take a number like the deli counter at Dominic's, right? You've got to wait in this long line. And when you get to the front of the line, who's there? Joseph. Who's standing between annihilation of the world through famine and, and food? Joseph. And who raised this man up? God did for this moment. And then something astonishing happened. Something that Joseph didn't expect would happen. When he woke up that morning, got dressed, and went off to work. It says in verse 6, And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Now I picture this as like Joseph's like getting the food, and he's handing it out, next, getting the food, next. And then he like turns around, and there's these ten guys. And bear in mind as you imagine this, these guys are in their 40s at this point, okay? Joseph's like in his 30s. These guys are into their 40s. Ten guys are just on their faces in front of them. 
And then as they look up, he's like, it's, it's them. And he didn't have very much time to choose how he was going to react to this moment. And I think in his heart, the pain of his past, which had sat dormant for so long, suddenly erupted. And he sees these brothers and he remembers what had happened and, and filling his heart with such a mixture of anger, fury, and, and yet it says in the Scripture that he remembered the dreams that he had had. Do you remember them? 20 years ago when he was 17 years old and the Lord had showed him that a stalk of grain was standing high and tall and then there were 10 others bowing before him and, and he knew that this was his brothers bowing before him and he went and told them the dream and now out of nowhere he like, turns around, and it happens. And I think his world stopped in that moment. I think his heart stopped for a second in that moment. And now he's got a choice to make. Because the ten people who ruined his life were at his mercy. What would, he, what would you do? What would he do? Well, reading on in verse 7, it says, Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. He had a choice. Do you think this was a good choice or a bad choice? What do you think? Good choice or bad choice? Not good. He treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. This is God's voice whispering to him, Remember? Remember I showed you this. I showed you this moment long in advance. Now we kind of know why, right? Now we kind of know why God showed him in advance because he has such power. Now we kind of know why God put Joseph in jail for all those years, right? Why? Because he's got all this power power. And what would Joseph have become if he had all this power and he didn't have those prison years to humble him? He said to them, you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. This is a false accusation. By the way, the brothers are seriously caught off guard by this. They just fell down and needed food and suddenly this guy, they don't even know who he is. It's 20 years have passed since the last time he saw his brother. He's dressed up like an Egyptian. He's talking Egyptian with a translator. And this is like, why is this guy so mad at us? They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men, and your servants have never been spies. All right, now this is kind of funny. You ever play the game Two Truths and a Lie? Have you ever played that? The way the game works is, I, so Caleb, we're going to play right now. I'm going to tell you three things about myself. Ready? I went to Amos Alonzo Stag High School. I've met a president of the United States, and I've appeared on the Bozo Show. One of those is a lie. Guess which one is a lie? You're right. Give him a round of applause. I've never met a president of the United States. Bravo. Oh, come on. A little more effort than that. It's like the brothers decided to play that here because here's what they said. This is great. We are all the sons of one man. True or false? True. We are honest men. False. Your servants have never been spies. True. That's right. True. Very good. Two for three ain't bad, right? And what do you think it made Joseph feel like when his brothers said, we are honest men? 
men. You think he got mad? You think his heart was filled with indignation? You picked the wrong world leader to lie to today. The wrong person. You see, what was going on here was, this was a trial in Joseph's heart. There are times in the Bible where in order to test a righteous person, God puts their enemies at their mercy and then watches what they do and watches what they say. It happened with David in the cave, right? He could have taken Saul out, but he didn't. This is a test. And the brothers are being tested too. Are they going to cough up the truth? Are they going to... 20 years they've hid the fact that they murdered their brother for all their dad knows. Takes a long time. Takes a lot of work to cover up a lie for 20 years. This is all a test. Reading on, verse 12, he said to them, no, no, it's, it's the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and, and one is no more. False. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Okay, now this must have felt great to throw them in jail for three straight days days, they're locked up. They're in handcuffs. There's big, tough officers that are watching them saying, shut up! Eat this junk! Stop looking at me! For three days, Monday morning he wakes up and his brothers are in jail just playing the harmonica all day long. Tuesday morning he wakes up. Oh, what a good day. Maybe he walked by the prison and just looked inside to check on him. Wednesday morning he wakes up. They're still in jail. Oh, and by the way, they're supposed to be picking which one of them is going to get out. Think of how that conversation's going. One of you gets out to go back and to bring my brother Benjamin back here. Good choice or bad choice? To falsely accuse people of being spies, to throw them in jail for three days, to make them pick one of them that gets out. You think he's venting a little anger? You, what's that called when... You want to do to someone else what they did to you. There's a word for that, right? What is it again? Say it nice and loud. Isn't this what we're tempted with when people who did that to us, the people who said that to us, and then then we finally get our chance to... Some of you want to get revenge immediately. Okay, you just blow up and you just get... Some of you are a little more smooth than that. Oh, deep in the quiet confines of your own heart. Doesn't matter how long it's going to take. Doesn't matter how long you have to wait. You will get even. But revenge is a temptation we all face. Then something interesting happens. Check out verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live. For, what does it say there? For, For I fear God. You think God wasn't working him over night and day? What are you doing? What are you doing to your brothers? You think God wasn't putting pressure on? I fear God. 
If you are honest, men, let one of your brothers... Okay, plans changed. Let one of your brothers remain confined where you... Okay, God, I'll just keep one of them. And let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me so that your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, this is fascinating. Joseph said, I fear God. And the brothers got more afraid. Uh Uh-oh. We're in trouble with God. And this guy fears God? Then they said to one another in truth, listen to this, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. This is called conviction. It's placed in the human heart by God Almighty and it drives the guilty to repentance. Hey, when you start thinking about your past and the knots that are there and how God's going to resolve them, here's the first thing you can jot down. Respond to God's conviction. Respond to God's conviction. We see what conviction looks like and feels like here in the lives of both Joseph, who after three days of venting his rage, shows up and says, all right, plans changed. I fear God. What did that? What changed that? Conscience. Conviction. And then when we see the brothers say, we are Joseph's wondering, do they even remember me? Do they even feel bad for what they did? Is I've got to hold them accountable. And, and here they, Joseph gets a full confession. We are guilty that comes out of their own mouths for him to hear. Why? Conviction that God placed on them. What are they afraid of? They know their guilt. And it says it's because God is bringing His guilt upon us. Respond to God's conviction. Psalm 32, 1-5 portrays this feeling for us. Check this out. Psalm 32, 1-5 says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, meaning I hid my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Listen, your hand was heavy upon me. Kenny, the Lord's saying that there's going to be times in your life where you do something and you think you got away with it. You steal and then you hide it and nobody knows and you lie and you think your words and your webs of deceit have protected you and you and God says he's going to do this he's going to do this your hand is heavy upon me and if you don't give in he's going to do this then he's going to do this and he's going to lean on you and push on you and pressure you because you're not telling the truth try getting around with God on your back going to be miserable. He says, your hand was heavy upon me. For 20 years, these brothers they were bearing the guilt of their choice. It all blurted out right now. And by the way, Joseph heard the confession with his own ears. 
Jot this down. Respond to God's conviction. Fear God's judgment. God's doing this to me. Fear his judgment. And confess sin openly. Write that down. Confess sin openly. The Lord will drive you to that moment where you say it with your own mouth. Specifically, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. God will bring resolution to your past, but maybe there are things in your own heart, guilt in your own soul that you need to confess with your mouth to find forgiveness. Wow. It's amazing that God brought this about. It had a deep impact on Joseph. He's trying. God, God, I'm just trying to vent my anger here. It makes it really hard when they start doing right things and saying that they were wrong. So what happens next? It says in verse 22, And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. Wept. Cried. God's going to work in Joseph's heart. He's softening him up. Joseph's not there yet. He returned to them and spoke to them and he took Simeon from them. That's the second born. and Bound him before their eyes and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. He took Simeon and threw him in jail. Right decision or wrong decision? Wrong decision. Then they loaded the donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. And at this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Wow. How can we go back now? We're thieves. Reading on in verse, or chapter 43, verse 1. Look at chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to them, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. What's, what's with the brother? Why does he want the brother? Okay. okay, remember there were four moms in the family, and Joseph only had one, like, blood brother, and that was Benjamin from his mother Rachel, okay? So he had one blood brother, and then the other brothers were evil stepbrothers. He hated them all, and they hated him. It was mutual. So that's why he wanted to see Benjamin. He didn't know what his older brothers had done to Benjamin, right? And he thinks they're lying. So reading on, verse 4, it says, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face, lest your brother is with you. Israel, that's Jacob, said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? That, <laughs> okay, Jacob has a problem with lying, which is where his kids get it from. And he's like, why didn't you lie to them? Why did you? you mean like we lied to you about Joseph? Not a good plan. Verse 7. They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Judah. You want to know about Judah? 
Judah was the brother while the other brothers were eating lunch that said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Judah was the brother that perhaps received the money in his own hand. Judah was maybe the brother who was closest to Joseph while he was screaming and begging for his life. Judah was an evil man who lived a cursed life. The Bible says God killed his first son just because he didn't like him. The Bible says God killed his second son because he was sexually perverse. The Bible said that God allowed Judah's wife to die. This man has known no peace since he sinned against his brother. That's Judah. He was the worst of the brothers. But God was working in his life. Verse 8, And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. Get this, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have returned twice. Yes! Yes, this is such a redemptive moment. Entrust my brother to me. If I don't bring him back, I will bear the blame forever, meaning meaning my life is on the line now for his. What love and sacrifice we see in who? In him? Hey, jot this down. The second point when you want to trust God to resolve your past is believe God can change the hardest heart. Believe God can change the hardest heart. This is the least likely brother to lay his life on the line for another one of his brothers. You know what this does? This gives hope. Judah had a past. He wondered if God could ever forgive him. After what I've done, I've sold my brother into slavery. Hey, how would you feel if you sold Kenny for 50 bucks into slavery into a Mexican drug cartel and then lied about it for 20 years, right? And said he ran off with a circus or something. And you're living with yourself for 20 years. God's judgment is clearly coming upon you time and time and time again. And there you are wondering, after what I did, after who I am, after how God feels about me, is there any hope for me? And the answer is yes. Jot this down. Believe God can change the hardest heart. Hey, there's hope for me. There's hope for me. And Judah has redemptive choices to make right now, and he begins to make them one after the other. God begins to reconcile him. It's a powerful moment. Well, reading on, God's going to work in the hardest heart. Reading on here in verse, where are we here? 26, I believe, verse 12. Verse 12. It says this, 43, verse 12. Take double the money with you, carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. This is good. This is a good moment for Jacob. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. Good. He's now trusting the mercy of the Lord. May he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. Reading on now, skip ahead to verse 26 says when Joseph came home so they get down to Egypt and Joseph prepares a meal for them 
When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He's still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. This is great. (laughs) How would you feel if the next time you went to a family Christmas party, your whole family just bowed down on their faces before you? And you were like, Oh, I can get used to this. Rise, servants, rise. Verse 29, he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Listen, God's going to work in Joseph's heart. God's softening him up towards his family. This painful past, which is creating all of these emotions in him. And By the way, the Bible's silent on how we're supposed to feel about his choices. The Bible doesn't condemn what he's doing, and the Bible doesn't condone what he's doing, leaving us free to see how mixed his emotions are moment to to moment. He wept. Verse 31, then he washed his face and came out. Controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and... Them by themselves, the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews. For that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. It's kind of funny. Joseph, like, sat them in order of their age. Okay, and they all looked at each other like, how did this happen? It's like the youngest to the oldest. What a coincidence. Verse 34, portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. (laughs) Try this with your kids. Give one of your kids five times more chicken nuggets than the other kids and see what happens. Wait a minute. They got more french fries than I do. Scholars debate what was going on here. Was, Was Joseph trying to show favoritism to one brother to get the others to start fighting like, oh, skinny over here gets five times the amount of food than we do. Is he testing them or, or is he just showing the love to his younger brother? We don't know. We don't know. But they don't take the bait. They get along. They have a good meal. And then something happens. They have the meal and Joseph sends them on their way, but he hides one of his cups in Benjamin's backpack. And he says, follow them to one of his servants. One of them stole my cup. Find out who did it. Bring him back. So they track the brothers down and they have them all lay out their backpacks. And they get to Benjamin and they find the cup in his backpack. And the brothers had said, if any of us did this, you can take him to be your servant. Some scholars wonder if Joseph did this to try and test, would they leave their brother again? Would they say, well, he took it. Good luck in Egypt. We're going home. We don't know. But let's just say again another bad decision. Accuse your brothers of stealing when they haven't stolen. Plant something on them. And Joseph is still wrestling with this. Well, they bring the brothers back. And then they appear before him in chapter 44, verse 14. Check out 44, verse 14. It says, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? 
Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, Judah's still talking, right? Judah keeps talking. Joseph is probably like, just stop talking. I just want to kill you or throw you in prison. And you're the one who keeps talking. Do you not know? Verse 16, and Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What, What shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. Listen, did you hear what he just said? We are your servants. God has found out our guilt. He's binding himself to his brother, even though he didn't do anything wrong. We're staying with him, all of us. Wow. Verse 17, Joseph is caught off guard by some of these decisions. Verse 70, but he said, Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Maybe, maybe Joseph just wanted to keep Benjamin, maybe to keep him safe, but his plan is not working because his brothers are doing good things. Verse 18, then Judah went up to him and said, now Judah's going to give a speech here. This is are you ready for this? This is one of the most courageous and loving things that ever happens in the Bible. Look at verse 30. Judah's still talking, verse 30. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy Benjamin is not with us, then as his life is bound up to the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to show Listen, my father's going to die. If I don't come back with my brother, my father's going to die. Verse 32, for your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Hey, I, I, made, a, I made an oath. I made a vow. And if I don't go back with my brother, my life is at stake. Verse 33, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy, as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. Hey, hey, I'll stay. I'll stay in his place. Just, just let him go. I would rather it be me than him. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. <laughs> Joseph is looking at his brother thinking, you, you care about your father? You, you'd stay here in place of your brother? You, you made a vow to protect him? God, what did you do with my brother? This is not the same man. It was this that finally broke Joseph to pieces. Don't miss what it was. He was holding it together pretty well. Till his brother went and said this to him. Chapter 45, verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He, he cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And here it is. He wept aloud so the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But... His brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Yeah, you think? You think when he finally said, 
I am Joseph. What do you think they reacted? They were like this. They were like, now we're in big trouble. He's alive. We sold him. We tried to kill him. He's... They couldn't say anything. They just did this. We're going to die today. Today, we're all going to die. Verse 4, so Joseph said to his brothers, this is so moving, come near to me, please. And, and they came near. He said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent, God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And second time, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but third time, but God. Now we can go back and pull the remainder of the points from what an amazing story of reconciliation, but what was it that finally broke Joseph down? What was it that finally resolved all of the past in his heart? It was the worst of the brothers showing that God had changed him. Hey, write this down. There's, there's hope for me, right? The Believe God can change the hardest heart. There's hope for me, but there's also hope for... And I intentionally left that blank. Because there's names of people in your past. People who have done that. People who have said that. People who have... And do you believe that God can change them? Why didn't God immediately strike them with lightning? Because he's being patient. Because he's going to work in there. Don't think for a moment that their guilt is gone, right? What the brothers did was called sin. And God's judgment fell on them. But it's God's job to generate the sense of guilt. It's God's job to create the confession. Do you know if God wanted to, he could put you in the room after five years, after 10 years, after 20 years, when they finally admit that what they did was wrong, he, could, he can put you in the room so you will hear it if he wants to. And they've, got, they've not gotten off scot-free. Every sin will be judged, whether at the cross or in person, right? But believe God can change the hardest heart. There's hope for me. Hey, we've got to deal with some things that in our own past, right? And and if there's things in your past that make you wonder, hey, could God ever forgive me? Could God ever receive me? Would he ever? Yes, the answer is yes, and Judah shows us this. Okay, but now what if I'm dealing with them? What if I've lost hope for them? Or maybe, maybe these aren't even people who have hurt you. Maybe these are just people who you're waiting for them to respond to the love of the gospel, and you're seeing no change. You've waited for years, and you've seen no evidence of God at work in their heart. And here it shows, listen, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. God is still at work deep within their heart. And no one who's living on this planet is outside of the reach of the gospel. There's hope for 
me and there's hope for... And the third point is this. I must forgive to find peace. I must forgive to find peace. What a role model of forgiveness we see in Joseph. It took him a while to get there, and it may take you a while to get there, right? Struggling with revenge, struggling with anger, struggling with bitterness, struggling. It might take you a while for God to get you there, but He wants to get you there. And I must forgive in order to find peace. And how do I do that? Here's the first thing you have to face. Jot this down. By trusting that God meant it for good. And whatever trial came into your past, whatever God let someone else do to you, do you, do you know you have to understand with Joseph that God meant it for good? Do you know how hard it is to see that? Do you know it crossed God's desk the day that it actually entered into your life? How do, I, how do I deal with that? How do I face that? You have to understand that what happened was wrong, was painful, was hurtful, but God meant it for good. It wasn't good, but the things God was going to do from it were good. And you have to trust that God meant that in your life for good. The darkest, most painful trial in your life will end up accomplishing God's purposes in ways you never imagined. If He allowed it, He allowed it for a reason. To use it to further His purpose and His grand design for your life. Sometimes there's anger with God that needs to be dealt with over things that He's allowed in your life. Sometimes you have to admit to God, I've been angry with you about this. I've been confused about this. I've been hurt by this, but I'm going to confess by faith that you allowed it because there's good that you're going to work through it. I must forgive to find peace. And how? We'll jot this down by showing grace and kindness. By showing grace and kindness, especially when they don't deserve it. Come here, come here, come here. I'm your brother. Come here. Don't be angry with yourselves. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This is a portrait of reconciliation. This is a portrait of forgiveness. I'm showing you kindness you haven't earned. I'm giving you favor that you don't deserve. Come here, come here. I forgive you. If we don't reach a place of forgiveness with those who have hurt us in our past, we will be miserable and we will give them far too much power to damage our future. God wants to get you there, no matter how long it takes. He wants to get you to the place where you forgive those who have hurt you the deepest and where you allow Him to show the reasons why He brought these things to be in your life. And in response to this story, I think, I think as you look back into your past and as you see those knots, those burdens, those trials that you've been trying to explain. I think God is bringing you to hear this message this morning because He wants to resolve these issues in your heart. He wants to untangle them. You don't even know where to start. And He's like, I'm going to resolve these areas. But you have some choices you have to make. Hey, are there sins from your past that you have not yet confessed, that you have not yet brought out into the open to the Lord? Listen, I'm not talking about the sins that you've already dealt with. The, the enemy wants you to obsess over those, right? He's going to throw those back in your face. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ones that remain hidden, that remain unspoken, that remain unconfessed. These are the areas that God's going to push down until you bring them out into the light. 
Hey, are there people who you are struggling to forgive in your past? You get around them and you just have to grind your teeth and can't smile and you're just letting them know in one way or another how you're feeling about them and you're not, you're not forgiving. Hey, is there anger that you have toward God because of things that He's brought into your past that you have to release to Him believing what the Scripture says that He meant it for good? He is not the blameworthy cause of the pain. By faith, He is the author of the good that is going to come from it. Have you dealt with God on some of these past issues? This is the way to begin finding resolution this morning from things in your past. And I want to give you a chance right now to pray and to entrust to a holy and loving God anything from your past that you have been trying to untangle but just can't. Let's close our eyes and let's bow right now and let's pray together. And let's commit whatever He's stirred up in your heart, whatever He's brought up in your own soul, let's commit these to Him right now. Father in heaven, it's true there are There are painful things from my past that that are not resolved. Lord, they entered into my life. I couldn't believe that they happened. And now now as I'm thinking about it again, Lord, I don't know what to feel. But I'm trusting by faith that you have the power to resolve these problems. Lord, there are some here this morning and the problem is their actions and you have been generating a sense of conviction and guilt in their heart. You're prompting them to confess their sins that you might forgive them. Lord, generate within them right now the authentic desire to confess their sins that you might forgive them. It come out into the open. They say, I am guilty. May they find the peace that comes from the forgiveness of God. Lord, some here are having a tremendous difficult time forgiving people who've hurt them. Lord, there's a name right now on their heart. And I pray that they would release the person from the hurt that they've caused. Pray that they would release the person from the pain from any revenge, trusting that you can go to work in that person's heart. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with anger towards you. Why did you allow it? How could you? Where were you? Father, may they release the anger they felt toward you, knowing that you are determined to bring good from it. Lord, as we lift our past up to you and bring it into your presence, bring about, bring about resolution as only you can. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.